By 2016, the loans were at $250,000 a year. It was one of the most demoralizing feelings to look at that balance and think about how seemingly insurmountable that was. At that time, I was thinking the only way I'll ever pay down student loans is if I work for myself or if I build a startup. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast where I bring you stories from fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. In this episode, we have Nick Fogel, who is the co-founder and CTO of Wave, which is an online video editing platform that is making over 1.5 million in yearly revenue. Before we find out about Nick, I'd like to quickly thank the sponsor of this episode, Weekend Club. You know what? I think even if Charlie, the founder of Weekend Club, didn't pay me to sponsor the episode, I'd still happily recommend it to any indie hacker or solo founder out there. I do have a script here, but I wouldn't recommend something that I didn't honestly believe in myself. Weekend Club is perfect for me as a solo founder for meeting other like-minded bootstrappers to get advice, feedback, and to keep me accountable. Every Saturday, we have deep working sessions to help get our tasks done and make progress on our projects. If you join, Charlie has given me a limited promotional code to get 50% off your first month. Go to weekendclub.co and enter IndieBytes as your code. If you do join, I'll see you on Saturday. Let's get back to Nick. Nick Fogel is the co-founder of Wave and Chernkey. But there's a lot more to Nick than just that. Wave is an audio to video platform, which has now hit $1.5 million in ARR. But Nick has only really just left his full-time job a few months ago, three years after starting the company and nine months after it had eclipsed his salary. Well, why is that? Well, Nick had $250,000 of student loans to pay off. Nick, $250,000 of student debt. How how does someone get that? I'm from the UK where that's not really a number we we would get to. <laughs> 250000 yeah, it's a quarter million in student debt. It's a heck of a lot of money. And it, it took some time to, to build that up. Now, none of it was from undergrad. I, I did a four-year degree. And uh, then I graduated in 2008, which was right in the, the trough of the financial recession. My major was in economics. So of course I was out interviewing with Bank of America and, and John Hancock Financial, all the big banks. And suddenly they did a hiring freeze. I found myself loading trucks at Walmart and stocking the dairy section because that was the only place that, that would hire at the time. So I said, you know what? I've got a great idea. Let's go to law school. Lawyers make a lot of money, right? <laughs> you know, at that point in time, I was fortunate. I had a scholarship to undergrad and parents had helped out some, so I, I didn't have any debt. But I said, lawyers make a lot of money. I'm going to take out a, a loan and law school happen and I'll graduate and make a lot of money and I'll pay off the debt fast. Because again, I thought lawyers just made a, a lot of money. Turns out that's not quite true. I went to a private law school and I think the tuition each year was, was probably 40 to 45,000. And so I, by the time of graduation, that was about $135,000 in principle. How do you get from 135,000 to 250,000? I only borrowed 135. And in, in 2012, when I finished law school, I was looking at 160 or maybe it was closer to 170. So 2012, I was interviewing with law firms and in the area that I'm in, it's a, it's a, on the coast, it's a desirable area in Charleston, super saturated job market, not a lot of gigs for attorneys. The best jobs in town are, are really people that have experience for years or you start your own firm. I was offered like 45,000 starting off at the firm I'd, I'd clerked with for years. So that wasn't going to pay the bills. And I was at a point where I did not like law. I wanted to do something different. So a long story short, I took a couple of detours that put me in a maybe worse situation temporarily where I was driving a shuttle about six months later at a resort, like a, a shuttle bus and making a little over minimum wage. Meanwhile, 
loans are still accruing interest, stacking up. I decided to teach myself to code because at that time I was thinking the only way I'll ever pay down student loans is if I work for myself or if I build a startup. So I taught myself to build this startup idea I had. Uh, maybe it was a good idea, maybe it wasn't, but nobody would work on this idea with me as a, as a naive founder. So I ended up giving up, but it wasn't all for a loss because for that six to seven month period of driving the shuttle and I would like park in between pickups and, and practice coding, I got pretty good uh, just obsessing over learning for six to seven months. Meanwhile, the loans are still accruing. So that's 2013, 2014, 2015. I look at my loan balance. It's at 220. By 2016, the loans were at $250,000 a year. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about how you were feeling in Christmas 2016 when you had this huge 250 grand debt and what steps you started to take to start to pay that down. At the time I was making better money. I was freelancing with the agency we'd started here and I finally had built things up to the point where I could start chipping away at it. But I'll tell you, it, it was one of the most demoralizing feelings to look at that balance and think about how seemingly insurmountable that was. To pay off that much money in debt, you need to make like, my goal was to pay it off in five to 10 years. So I realized I'd need to make at least 200,000 bucks a year to hit that goal. I won't go into the full detail, but it's worth just talking through the, the main steps. First of all, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll plug the book I just wrote. It's totally free. I've got, I've, I threw it up there on Gum Road. It's called Loan Kit. And if you do have six figures in debt and you're in the US, there are some bonuses because I really go into the regulatory scheme. But overall, that book's a great resource. The first step I took was figuring out, okay, I'm going to set a goal of paying this down. I think 2023 was my original goal. And this was in 2016. So that was like seven or eight years. And I was just figuring, okay, like at this point in my career, I was making about 150,000 a year. And I had already realized that I really needed to make some asymmetric bets in my future if I was ever going to pay this thing off. So that meant leaving my cushy corporate job to start freelancing with a, a agency that I was a partner of. And it also meant starting a startup. And that's how Wave got its start. So tell me a little bit more about Wave then. What is Wave and what's the product like now? Yeah, Wave is a really great tool for podcasters such as yourself, James. I should give you a free code to use it. It's something that people take for granted now, right? You're on social media and you see a podcast with a waveform that's animated and there's a nice design and maybe some subtitles or, or closed captions that are panning across the screen there. This didn't exist back in 2015. We'd started by creating a... Twitter for audio. That's what the first version of Wave was. And we were doing what a lot of indie founders start out doing. We were chasing the big VC dream. We were trying yeah. to make money. Nobody was interested. The VC scene in, in our area is like non-existent. So as we're wrapping that up, we decided maybe we'll try one more marketing thing. And I built this little tool over the course of a weekend. We were going to use it for internal purposes only where we found we had all this great audio and we were going to promote all the audio people were sharing in our app on social media as video. Previously, like you just can't share audio very well on social media because it's just like an audio bar. Video is a lot more engaging. So we decided to, to give this a shot. I built the tool. The engagement was great. So people reached out and they were like, how can we use this tool? And uh, Baird at the time was like, oh, maybe we can charge for this thing. It was such a janky website at first. It was an IP address. There wasn't even a domain name. When people paid us, we would just give them the IP address and we would create some design assets for them. And there would be a dropdown. And all of our customers used the same dropdown. They didn't even have a login. It was crazy. But people wanted the product so bad 
they would put up with this horrible user experience. And that's how we knew we were onto something like customers were willing to go through the hassle and not even have their own login, but they would pay us for the end result. Today, Wave is it's light years ahead of where it was back uh, three years ago or four years ago when we first released that. We have all kinds of, of really cool, creative waveform animations, backgrounds, templates. We've got closed captionings. We've got all, all kinds of great things to make your podcast design really pop. Yeah. And that's just a perfect sign of validation when you've got this janky site, yet you're getting people that want to pay and they want to give you money. They want to use it because you're solving a specific problem. And I think a lot of indie hackers will try to make their their product perfect before they release it because that's how people pay. But if you're solving a problem, there is a need for people to pay and you can then validate that. Where were you finding those first users? And so you were charging right from the very beginning. Yeah, that was the, the big change that we made. Have you seen the movie Moneyball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about sabermetrics and like this approach to hiring uh, professional baseball talent. Baird and I took that approach where at the time, so I, I was working probably 60 to 80 hours a week, every week until a few months ago to pay off the loans. And, and we had just sunk two years in something that utterly failed, that paid us nothing. I had to be very stingy with my time because I didn't want to devote too much time to something that might not pan out. We were finding these customers and they wanted features built. And a lot of them were just from the startup community or podcasters we knew that had used the previous service. So during those early days, a lot of it was direct outreach and they would ask for a feature or something. We'd build that feature. At that point, we never built a feature until a paying customer requested it or threatened to leave because they didn't have that feature looking for ROI in every product investment we made. And I think that was really, it really helped us to change the mindset from that feature factory that a lot of VC funded products turned to being scrappy indie hackers, where we are only building for ROI and actually charging customers from day one. Yeah. And you didn't start working full-time on wave until a, a little earlier this year during a pandemic i might add now you're at around 120k a month in revenue you must have been doing quite well then why don't you leave earlier yeah mostly student loans i could have like waited and, and paid them off more slowly but my whole philosophy was that in order to pay these loans down, I was going to have to basically have two careers when somebody else would typically have one. So I had pretty much two full-time jobs for from about 2015 to 2020. It's helpful to have two founders because you're going to have one that's an optimist, one that's more of a pessimist. And maybe it's from all the, the things I've been through that make me a little more pessimistic. Mm. But I was like, there's no way we'll get past 30 grand in MLR. Oh, there's absolutely no way we'll get to a million. Okay, once we hit a million, that's it. There's absolutely no way this niche product could get beyond that. And podcasting has grown as an industry and Wave has definitely mirrored that. And when COVID hit, Wave's numbers definitely experienced an uptick. And I think that my realization at that time was, okay, if there was ever an instance where Wave was going to crumble, the fragility of our SaaS business would show, it would be during a pandemic. So at the same time, I was you know, working at another company that I'd been with for three years, really liked the company. It was awesome people, but I realized I don't need to keep doing this. It was not great. I've got a, a young kid at home. I've got a wife. It was not healthy to keep doing it. I had just caught up on a tax bill because I had wanted to pay my loans down first. And then I had to catch up on all the taxes. And once I'd done that, I was like, all right, it's time. So you were hustling for quite a while just so you could get all this debt paid off. And now are you debt free and you've got a clear head to to focus on building Wave and, and now Chunky? 
How many people do you have working with you for you at the moment on Wave and, and now Chunky? So Baird and I are, are pretty much full-time. I, we don't really have full, a full-time workload at Wave anymore. Probably 20 hours a week, I'd say, for both of us. We've also got Rob Moore, and we've got a few other contractors who are awesome. If you ever jump into support on Wave, John has been with us for a long time. But we only do 1099 contracts. We don't hire employees. It's just the way we do things. Oh, wow. So you're, you're super lean then. Extremely lean. Like, you know, our margins, they're really, really, really good. And, and that's also something that really helped with the loans was every decision I made from the engineering side was like, how can we automate more? How can we build something that is, that's resistant to outages? Now that it's, I think we're at 100 and about 130,000 MRR, it's really, those decisions have really paid off. Yeah. That's mad. Yeah, interestingly, I I spoke to Saba who runs Veed. They're at 1.7 ARR, mm-hmm. similar sort of video editing online platform. But they, they've got 20 people on the team now. So wow. they're, they're doing similar money to you, but with a huge team. And they're hiring for growth. I think it's worth drawing a distinction too, because Baird and I from the beginning have been really about lifestyle. We have young families. He's got a young one. I've got a, a little one. And... I think we realized that high growth with Wave from the get-go, we were looking at it as a lifestyle business. Yeah, and just one final question on, on that growth, because I'm now thinking about it. When I spoke to to Saba, he was talking about how like the, the amount of work they put in to grow it with their employees, and they, they've grown quite quickly. But how did you grow that level? What were you doing to acquire customers and doing marketing? Was it just organic? Was there any things within the product that were helping you share? Yeah, the product itself shares really well. And I'm, I'm sure that's been helpful for Veeb. You know, these social media products, people see it and they're like, what is that? And our free version, early on, we added a watermark so that the, the watermark would, people would see that's Wave and they would come to the site. We didn't start paid advertising until January of this year. We were 100% organic and, and Baird spent a ton of time in the early days doing all the things that don't scale on the marketing front, like writing blog posts that have a very long tail type of post around podcasting, anything related to podcasting. Mm. So to this day, we, we still get a majority of our traffic uh, organic. Yeah, there's some super key learnings about having a product that works well, going after a market that is a growing market, making sure your product is right for them and having content around that and making your product viral in its nature, having those watermarks, people Mm -hmm. are sharing videos, they see the wave watermark, they find out they go and make it for themselves. The product is really easy to use. You log in, you can make a video super quickly if you've got a podcast, so I think the product's awesome. Let's finish off on three quick fire questions. First of all, what's your favorite book? A- Anti-Fragile, Nassim Taleb. Favorite podcast? I like Reply All for narrative. And then finally, what indie hacker are you inspired by or who should people follow? Scott Herf is the newest member of my team and he probably has like the least amount of followers. He's a brilliant designer. He's going to start dropping some real wisdom in the IH community and he's not getting as much love as as he's going to deserve here soon. So I'm going to plug him. Awesome. All right, Nick, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot, James. I love Nick's story of becoming an indie hacker and paying off that huge amount of debt. If you did like this episode, I'd love if you could share it with just one other indie hacker or leave a review on iTunes. It really does help the podcast grow. That's all from me. See you in the next one.